Jesus, for your faithfulness. I thank you, Jesus, for your death on the cross, the resurrection, and that you're coming again, Jesus. I thank you that you have given us life. I thank you for the body of Christ in this room tonight. Lord, that we, that we have gathered together, God, to, to come to you, Jesus. Not to come to church, not to just do uh, things that are habits to us, God, but to truly come because, God, we want to be with you, Jesus. And I pray that tonight you would bless the faith of those that have come, God, that you would bless them, you would strengthen the body, God, and that you would help us, God, to sit under your word and to be changed by your word, God, and to allow your word to work into our lives. We love you. We thank you, God. Help me, Father. Give me great grace and great strength by the power of your Holy Spirit to work through me, and God, just to speak the words that you would have tonight. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to read this passage together. It's Luke chapter 5. We'll start in verse 12. And so it's a story many of you are probably very familiar with, but as I was reading into this, the Lord actually woke me up last night and just told me the passage. You can ask my wife. I went to bed really frustrated. I even said, God, why? Just why? She was she was trying to be sweet and kind, and I was just I was overwhelmed. And the Lord woke me up about four in the morning and didn't give me everything, just said, just showed me a passage. And then I woke up in the morning and the Lord gave me this word. So I pray it is a word for us tonight to prepare our hearts. So verse 12 says this. And while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing. As Moses, Moses commanded for it proved to them. But now even more, the report, but now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to the desolate places and pray. And so this is a passage that we've all heard before. Maybe you've turned to it, maybe you've dove into it, you've read it, and you've used it to encourage you tonight. But the Lord was just showing me some things from this. And I'm just going to bring out two things, just two very simple things that I was reading this passage that I think. Or that will give us some insight that also will help us to be able to prepare our hearts for what God wants to do in the conference. And so the first thing I'm just going to say, I, I don't really intend to be very long tonight, and perfectly that will happen. I can't guarantee you make a promise. But the first thing I want to say is this, is I want to look at this man. I want to look at the man with leper, the leper, the man with leprosy, and I want to look at his life. I want, to, I want us to kind of understand what this person's life must have been like and what his life was like. And then I want to look at Jesus and the way he plays in this. And so the first thing that we see from this passage that I want to just talk about is really the severity of the man's condition. The severity of the man's condition. When you read this passage right here in Luke chapter 5, in verse 12, it talks about how there came a man to Jesus and it says that he was full of leprosy. And some translations will say an advanced case of leprosy. So you have to understand that this was not some the beginning stages of leprosy, but this is this is leprosy at its height, at its peak, at its, its at the worst case you can imagine. And Luke is if you notice about Luke, Luke's a doctor. So this isn't just some random person saying something, but this is a doctor who's diagnosing this man and saying, Look, this was the worst kind of condition of leprosy you could have. Full of leprosy and an advanced form of it. And I was I was thinking about that, I was thinking about what is this what would this have looked like for this man? What would this, this man's life been like? And I'm going to pick two pictures for us in the scriptures to look into this. The first being what the physical condition of this man was. Because we want to see the severity of his condition and physically what was like, what was that like. But also what it was like for him to live among the people. What it was like for him to live among regular people or to live this life out when he was maybe being rejected for what he, what the, the sickness that he had in his body. 
And so when you think about the severity of this man's condition, the first thing you have to automatically think about is the condition that he had with leprosy and the physical part of that and how he's full of that. I'm going to tell you some things about leprosy just so you can get a picture. So I would encourage you right now that you would actually try to, and some of you might not want to do this, but try your best to envision this. The Word of God is not meant to be just some words on a paper, but we are meant to feel the weight of it. Allowed to sit on us. And so you can imagine this man, he's coming to Jesus, right? Jesus is he enters one of these cities, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you see this leper. And this is what you have might you might have would have seen. You would have seen a man filled with yellow lesions all over his body, great wounds that would have covered his body all throughout his entire body. And then what you would have maybe seen is you would have seen a man who had fingers and toes and ears who had deformity to them. Okay? You look at the leprosy and you go online, what you'll find out is that. It, it doesn't actually decay the finger off, but what it does is like makes them like numb or stubs. And so they, they begin to shrink and they call it, they, they actually call it, it reabsorbs into the body. It's, it's very strange. But these people, they, they come with these advanced cases of leprosy and you could tell that they were completely tormented in their body. Right? They, they, they were deformed, their fingers, their toes, their ears, all of these sort of things. It's very likely that they would have been bleeding from his gums. Also, his, feet, his teeth could have very well been fallen out. It's an advanced case. This is not just some uh, lightly thing. This was in very advanced. So his gums were bleeding, teeth possibly falling out. His hair would have turned to white and at some point most likely would have fallen out. We know that from Leviticus, how he talks, it talks over and over again about look for if there's white hair. That means they're not allowed in the camp because they knew it was the onset of leprosy. The nose would have begun to decay. And so you would have seen decay within the nose. Possibly there would be some blindness or some blurry vision of some sort and some extreme nerve damage and wounds on the bottom of his feet. So I just want you to picture this man. I want you to picture Jesus. Jesus is coming and comes into the city and out of nowhere, all of a sudden, this leper man who has an extreme case of this, who, I mean, it, it, it's it, it, when you literally think about it, it is, it is something that I don't think any of us can really fathom because maybe we haven't seen that before. But it is, it is a person who has lived a life that is absolutely broken. Very sick, very broken in every way, very filled with pain and sorrow. I said that people with leprosy, the average lifespan would have been 20 years with leprosy. Now, I don't know how long the advanced case would have been or how full how long he would have lived in that condition, but the truth is this man's life has been very painful. Physically, it has been difficult to deal with this sickness in his body. And so what we find here right off the back in this passage is we find a man who is in dire need. We find a man who is in extreme need. And so he goes to the only one he knows. And he doesn't even really know anything about him, right? All we know is that Jesus approaches the city. Maybe he's heard things about Jesus. But he goes because he is in dire need. He is filled with so much physical condition that it is, it is to honestly think about, is disturbing to our minds. But not only that, that he had a physical condition that was severe, but the severity of the man's condition was also related to his condition as far as how he lived in society. I want to read to you some of the things of how a leper... Not, so think about it. You don't have to just deal with that. Okay, If you've ever been sick... And maybe that sickness, people, if you can all relate to this back in the day when we, you know, 2020 when you had COVID, it was like if you had COVID and people were like, don't go near them. Like you, this, but a hundred or a thousand times worse, right? This is what this man would have been like. The, the leper was required to be isolated from the rest of society. And this was according to the Levitical law. So the rest of the, the Jewish people would not get sick. And so already right off the bat, you can imagine this physical pain. 
You can imagine this condition that this man in, and he's required to no longer be around people. So you have you ever been sick and been by yourself? And no one to care for you? It's it's that in itself is difficult. That in itself is, is is hard. Like when I'm sick, my wife says I'm the biggest baby. And I'm like, please come help me. I couldn't imagine being in this kind of sickness. And already having to be discarded away from society because you could bring it into the camp. But not only that, there were so many other things that they, he had to experience. What he would have experienced is that this leper, in any public setting, wherever he would grow, he'd have to scream, unclean, 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 giving warning to anybody that was nearby that I am coming through and I am unclean. And what would happen is people would see him and immediately walk away from him. So all this man is really known as rejection and pain. Rejection and pain is what he has known so much of. They were, and, and the rabbis, these are some other things that the rabbis would begin to put in place. Not the Levitical law, but this is what they were required of these people. It's, it's, super, it's so sad, but lepers were required to be dressed like people mourning for the dead. So the Jewish people, when someone died, they would dress a certain way, like a, like a funeral, right? And they would, they would dress like they were mourning and so forth. But they, they would have the, the lepers themselves dressed this way. And the reason being is because they considered lepers the living or the walking dead. So, to, to the rest of society, they look at a leper and say, you're dead. You're just dead. Like, you, you have no value. You are dead in every way. The members of society were taught by the rabbis not to greet lepers at all. So don't even acknowledge them, and you had to stay away six, six feet. If you came closer than six feet, you were unclean. And nobody wanted to be unclean. So, rejection, rejection, rejection. One particular rabbi at this time, he would brag about how he would keep stones within his pockets so that he could throw it at the leopards to keep them at distance. I mean, think about this. And, and y'all, Jesus is a rabbi. And the story we're about to read, or we just read and we're about to look into a little bit more, is that instead of a rabbi who's throwing rocks, we see a rabbi, Jesus, the Messiah, who reaches out for a leper. It is the complete opposite of this. But this man would have known rejection, not just by the regular people, but by the elite people of the day, all of society themselves. They were told that their sickness was the result because of their sin. And so because of that and their sickness, they were restricted from the temple. And I would say that that was the greatest, worst, or the worst thing they faced. Because you have to understand this about the temple for the Jewish people of that day. The temple was where the presence of God was for them. It was everything for them. They would go into the temple. Why? Because they wanted to be in the presence of God. And here's this man who's no longer, he's in physical pain and torment. There's severe pain of the condition he's in. But he's also rejected from society. And he's not allowed into the temple where the presence of God is. And not only that, but once a year, he's not allowed in to go make sacrifices for his sins. And then he's being told that his sins is the reason why this is happening. We can't even make sacrifices for forgiveness. So this guy is utterly someone who's hopeless and helpless and who's found himself in a situation that is completely broken. This leprosy has destroyed his life. But the beautiful message that we read about this is that there is no brokenness that is too far gone for Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And that's what we see in this passage. But one of the beautiful things that I think about Scripture sometimes is that what we see as the physical truth in Scripture sometimes is a picture of the spiritual truth. And what I want to do now is, from these, the, the severity of his condition and, and seeing these things about them, I want to paint a picture of how these physical truths about what he was at is not only uh, the physical things, but it's also a picture of the spiritual of what sin does to us. 
And the reason why I'm saying tonight, I said this might be a little difficult, is because I'm going to acknowledge this, that leprosy really ruins a person's life. And so does sin. And sometimes as Christians, I'm just going to be honest, we get saved and, we, and we're just like, I'm good. But the reality is we still wrestle and battle with sin. And in that, sometimes we actually give ourselves into it and begin to embrace it. And what that does to our life is much like what leprosy did to this man's life. One of the things that you see in this passage so clearly is what leprosy did to this man's life is leprosy led to a broken life. A life that truly could not experience the joy of many things. Could not experience the joy of sitting at a dinner table with friends and family and eating. Could not experience the joy of running and actually moving and doing the things that, that we, we take for granted so many, so many times. But the reality is, is that sin does the same thing to us. When we allow sin to come into our lives and we embrace it and we're okay with it. And I'm not talking about, like, because to be honest with you, you're the Wednesday night crowd. I know you're not out there doing the craziest of things. But I'm talking about just a little bit of sin that we allow to begin to compromise in our life. If we allow that in and we allow that to stay there, what we find is we find that it begins to grow. And it begins to take more ground than we thought it would. And we begin to see that it actually takes hold of our life. And maybe we're further away from God than we thought. We found ourselves maybe uh, shut off to the things of God because we've given ground to that. And when we do that, when we allow sin into just whatever degree that might be, whatever degree of sin we're comfortable with, number one is off. God is not comfortable with sin in our life. But if whatever degree that is, what happens is it starts to remove us from living the life that God had for us. Jesus said in John 10, 10, what? That he came to do what? He came to give us life and life abundant. And he knows that sin itself is the, it is, it is not bring life whatsoever. Sin, in fact, the wages of sin is death, is what scripture is read. And so when we think about that, when you think about this man and the picture of leprosy, how it has taken just the joy of life away from him, when we allow sin to continue in us, it takes away the joy that we're supposed to have with God. And I know that can be, and that's why I said some of the things we're going to say tonight can be painful, but it's honestly too, like sometimes maybe we come in here and we're like, well, I'm really not that bad, I promise you guys. There's all things that we come into this room with, and it's like, Lord, there's sin right here in my life, and I, I, I want to live the life of God. I want to live a life to the fullest, to the joy that you have for me. And so we have to acknowledge those things before the Lord. The second picture of what sin, uh, what leprosy illustrates here is leprosy not only uh, it speaks of a broken life, it leads to a broken life, but what leprosy really leads to for this man is isolation. And sin does the same thing. Sin leads to isolation. Think about this for many of us. For many of us, when we begin to sin and we allow sin to come into our life and we, become, we get comfortable with it, we let it settle in with us, it's very much that often what happens is that you begin to isolate yourself from the body of Christ. You begin to remove yourself from the body of Christ and you begin to kind of feel like, well, I don't want to share that because, you know, if I do, people are going to think this. And, and, and look, sin loves to get you one-on-one. Sin loves it. There was a quote I read by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It said, the more isolated a person is, the more destructive the power of sin is over it. Sin knows if it can get you one-on-one, if it can mess with you, if it can just say, I'm I'm me and my sin and keep you away from the body of Christ, God, it is destructive to our lives. And so sin wants to isolate you. And the truth is that this is actually what Hebrews speaks. Hebrews says this, that take care, brothers and sisters, Least there be in any of you an evil and unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. 
but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. If there is a degree of sin or a portion of sin that we're comfortable with, that sin will deceive you. And it will lead to a hardened heart. But what he says here is the answer to that is the body of Christ exhorting us and encouraging us, don't let the sin affect you. Put it away. Give it to Jesus. Let Jesus have your sin. The body of Christ stirring us on to to not live a life that is compromised. And again, I'm talking a lot about preparing our hearts so that we can receive what God wants to do in the conference. And some of that requires for us to allow, not us make things up, but for us to allow the Holy Spirit to search our hearts and say, this is what I'm dealing with. And if we let Him, if we let Him do it, God can do incredible things. But of course, God, I'm just comfortable with this. Y'all were limiting what God could accomplish or what God wants to do. And so that's what you see. You see, sin leads to isolation, just like leprosy led to isolation for this man. Leprosy also led to, um, for this man, uh, it affected his intimacy. So isolation from the body, but I'll just say this. It, it affected him from having any intimacy in, in any, really any way of life. I mean, he was directed from his family, he was directed from his friends. But more importantly, and I'll say this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain this. But intimacy with God. Sin causes us. It affects our intimacy with God. And then for a moment you might be like, whoa, 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 don't tell me that. I'm not saying that sin changes your position with God. It doesn't change your status with God. It doesn't remove you from being a child of God. It doesn't remove you from being born again in that way. It doesn't remove you from what God has already said about you. But when we begin to embrace sin, what does happen is the degree of intimacy that we had with the Lord begins to, begins to, I would say, in some ways, it's almost like you're turning a false slowly, slowly. And then you find yourself, you're like, what happened? You realize we allowed sin in our life and we embraced it and it took hold of us. And we realize the place we were with the Lord months ago is no longer where we at. And so sin is not something that we just play around with. Or sin is not something that we just say, well, you know, the conference is coming. God will do what he wants then. It's like if there's anything in my life right now, God clean it up because what I want is intimacy. What this man really wanted was intimacy with God. And he wasn't allowed really to go into the temple. He had no access into that. So there was no way for this man to experience that because of the leprosy. But when we begin to embrace sin in our lives... And I know, again, please understand, I'm not talking about you going and doing something crazy. I'm just talking about even the smallest of things that we begin to allow to put in our life and then let them grow. What we will find is our intimacy with the Lord begins to wane. And I'll say it like this. I don't believe that it's God that cuts the intimacy off. I genuinely believe it's us. Because when you embrace sin, it's us making the choice. It wasn't God saying, I don't want intimacy with you. It's genuinely because we said... Would I believe that this other thing would produce more joy and happiness than intimacy and love? And, and one of the things, I've said this to the youth all the time, and I don't know, maybe, maybe we've all heard it, but I, I, I believe this, that the greatest joy of, the, of a, a human's life, I don't want to say believe, a human's life is intimacy with God. It is the greatest pleasure but we find ourselves struggling to trust that and believe that because what we end up doing is seeking other things for pleasure and joy. And what that usually is leads us astray from the true happiness that we could find with intimacy with God. And I'll just say this to you. I was you know, sharing with um, some friends and my wife um, around this thing. 
about four months ago, the Lord spoke to me in my own life, y'all. And he spoke some things that were really good. They were good. It was just like, it was kind of like this answer. I said, yes, God. Yes, of course. That's wonderful. Thank you that you would want to do such a thing in my life. And um, he, he, he told me, he said, Felix, but what's going to be required is I, I'm asking you to give me room to do it. I said, okay, absolutely. Yeah, we'll do it. I'm excited, God. And, and, during, and that was about four months ago. And if I'm just being honest with you guys, during the last three months of that, man, I, 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 I failed. Surprise. We all do. But more than anything, what I really realized is that I began to pursue. God was really telling me he wanted to give me such an intimacy in a relationship with him. And I began to pursue other things that distracted me from what God actually was trying to do in me. And do through me and all those sort of things. And I begin to pursue other, I would say, pleasures. And, and look, I'm not even, a, these aren't like major, they're not sins that you're going to be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you would do such a thing. But for me, they were things that kept me from what God had already spoken to me. And because of that, what, what happened in my life, I'm just going to tell you, to be honest with you. This last month, there were some things that were happening in my life. And what I did experience is I began to experience this waning intimacy with God. And it got me to a place where I was so. I told somebody, I don't want to say it like this, but I don't know a better way to describe it. I almost felt spiritually bankrupt. And, and, I, and it led me to a place of desperation where I began to say, God, what is happening? What is happening? He reminded me of what he told me four months ago. But not only that, he said, Felix, I still want to give you that intimacy. I still want to give you the joy of that. But there's things you've allowed in your life that have crept in, and it's been your choice to push off the intimacy, son. But if you would repent, if you would come before me, I will restore the intimacy that was lost. And it did feel like a slow thing. It didn't feel like an overnight, like, you know, just like a, like you all of a sudden just take a hose and tie it up real fast. It felt like a slow thing in my life. And I got to the place where I was just like, God, I can't live like this. And I just said, you are better than life. The psalmist would say that your loving kindness is better than life. Or that, and I found myself reading over Psalm 63 over and over again. And he said, my bones cry out for you. And just, just be broken before the Lord. And y'all, I, I tell you this. When I, when I acknowledged that this was true, that I did allow sin in my life to keep me from the intimacy that God wanted to give. And I repented of that thing. God flooded me with an intimacy I haven't known in months. And I thank God for that. But I say that to you. I say that. I say that because I encourage you guys. If you are sitting here and you're saying, I, "Man, I, I'm," there's been a lack of intimacy. Ask the Holy Spirit. Is, is it sin? Not always is it sin, but is it sin? Is it something you've allowed in that has slowly choked out the the greatest thing you could have? Intimacy with God. To know God in an intimate way and to see Him. The last thing I'd say about what leprosy is a picture of here is that leprosy had no cure for them. Now we have a cure today, right? All the doctors in here are like, yes, we have a cure for that. But back then, they had no cure. It was hopeless. And just like there's no cure for leprosy back then, there's certainly no cure for sin. For them, for us, there's no cure for sin. But that leads me into the, 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 the second point, which is the final point, is really what was the solution then for the man? And what is the solution for me and you? If we walked in here with, a, with sin in our lives, we walked in here with maybe sin that has kept us and led, led us into a broken life, or we found ourselves isolated from the body of Christ because of it, or sin has affected us, our intimacy with God, or really we were like, God, I don't even know what to do with this sin. I, I can't get rid of it. 
The solution for just like this man it was, it was for, it was Jesus, and for us it's Jesus, and it will always be Jesus, because Jesus is the only answer to sin, and I thank God that it's Jesus. And so for us, we run into this place, and maybe we find ourselves, we are searching our hearts, we're allowing the Holy Spirit to search our hearts, and the things that maybe we've allowed to crept in, and we just run to Jesus, just like this man did. When this man ran to, ran to Jesus, I love what it says. It says that he fell down on his face. And I don't know if it was out of shame or about his humility. I'm sure there was a lot of shame in him. I'm sure as he was running, people were like, no, no, no. He just kept running with his sin and everything he had. And he fell at his feet. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do? And that's our hope of our sin. But I love what the man says to Jesus. When you read this passage, you see it and it says, Lord, if you will, can you make me clean? So this man runs to Jesus, and that is the answer for this man. It's the answer for us. This is 1 John 1, 9 teaches us that if we have sinned, we confess our sin to Jesus. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. We have to know that in here tonight. Because we can talk about sin and the heaviness and allow in our heart, but we also have to understand the goodness and the faithfulness of God to forgive us of our sin. But what you see is when this man comes, he falls before Jesus, and he says, what would you have me to do? And he says, if you will, would you make me clean? And I love this statement right here, because this is not just your typical, I just want to be healed. He actually says, I want to be clean, and there's significance to that. This is one of the moments you need to stop and pause in Scripture and understand why. Because for him just to be healed would have been great. He could have probably gone on and enjoyed a fun life. He would have been able to run. He would have had time with his family in some degree. But you know what? He's, healing itself wasn't the whole thing. Cleansing was the main thing this man wanted. And the reason why is what cleansing was is cleansing was the ability to go back into the temple. In other words, it's this. Cleansing was the ability to go back to where the presence of God was. And so for us, repentance of sin is not simply just because like, God, I'm sinning and it's messing up my life. Can you forgive me so that my life can get better? It's God, would you forgive me of my sin and things I've allowed in? Because what I crave is your presence and the intimacy with you. That is above all the greatest pursuit of repent, uh, when we repent, is that we acknowledge, I repent because I want to be with you, Jesus. I just want that intimacy with you. And if my sin has hindered me, just like this man said, I want to go back to the temple. I want to be back where God's presence is. I want to go back to where the people of God would gather so they can make sacrifices to God, to God, and praise God. I want to go back to that place. I just say, for us, we run to Jesus with all of the sin that we have, whatever it may be, however messed Messed up you are, or whatever you've done, you run to Jesus and say, I want to be in your presence. So Jesus, take all the sin that I have. Every bit of it belongs to you. And I love that sermon that Pastor Lee preached a couple months ago when he said, Jesus dances and delights when we come to him with our sins. He talked about it from Hebrews, that Jesus literally is like rejoicing when we would run to him with our sin. It's the same picture here. That though we may have sinned, Jesus takes joy in this to do this for us. I love what the scripture says is not only that he would bring him back into the presence of God or make it a way that he could cleanse him for come back to the presence of God like we get to experience intimacy, but it's also that you see in the stories that Jesus reaches out to him. No other man would reach out to this person. But the rabbis would throw stones at him and the rabbis would keep him at a distance. Jesus, Jesus does the exact opposite. He reaches for the man. And this just screams to you and I, guys, that no matter what sin that we walk in with, no matter sin we have struggled with, Jesus is not afraid to take it. 
And he take it all. He can take every bit of it, all of it. He is greater than our sin. While the rabbis were afraid because they become unclean by it, Jesus said, I'm not threatened by your sin. I'm not worried about what your sin's going to do to me. Because you know what? I have forgiven your sin. And I have taken your sin to the cross. And I, and I, I took the punishment of it. I was nailed there. And I suffered for you for your sin so that you might be made righteous. So come to me with whatever sin you have in this room now. Run to the altars and lay it out. And if it's real, if the Holy Spirit says, this is the sin that you've been dealing with, Jesus says, run to him. Run to him. And he says, I will reach for you. I will not resist. And Jesus leans into our sin. He's not afraid of it in any way. I just, I, I honestly just glad. That is just extraordinary who our Jesus is. That is our Jesus. And sometimes we have to be reminded of that because we do, as humans, do this naturally. When we sin, we say, I have to stay away. I have to do some sort of punishment. I have to stay away for a week or two or maybe I need to pray for six hours a day or whatever it might be. We always try to find some way to say, I will get back to that place. But the reality is all that's required for our sin to be taken and to be forgiven is for us to confess it to Jesus, to run to Jesus, and to give it to Jesus. And he says, yes, my son. Yes, my daughter. I love you. I love you. And I don't want any of that sin to separate us. I don't want any of that sin to keep you from you, from you to know my extraordinary love for you and for you to experience the intimacy I desire to give you. The last thing that you see, and I think it's so beautiful here in this passage, is regarding Jesus. He sends the man to the, to the, uh, the priest, and he was following the rituals of the day. But something that's super significant here that we might not think about is when you read this passage, Jesus, by doing this, was actually declaring who he was. So in the Old Testament, there's only two cases ever in the history of the Old Testament, and there's other than Jesus healing, right, in the New Testament, two cases of a leper being healed. One is Miriam, Moses' sister. She's healed. And the other is Naaman. And Naaman's a Gentile, okay? So throughout all of Jewish history, and this doesn't just include the Bible, but all extra-biblical writings that the Jews had, there's no account of a man or woman or a Jewish person other than Miriam being healed of leprosy. And so what they begin to do on the, the stages of when Jesus would come, at the time, the rabbis and the different teachers begin to say that the Messiah, when he comes, will be able to heal leprosy. He would be able to come onto the scene and heal leprosy. And actually, this is what Jesus says. When John the Baptist asks him, he says, are you the one that we've been waiting on? Remember, he questions him, and he's in prison, he sends messengers. And, and Jesus' response actually to him is, lepers are being healed. In other words, Jesus declaring that he is the Messiah. And the scriptures declare this about Jesus, that all a long time ago, in Genesis 3.15, the scriptures prophesied that the Messiah would come and he would crush the serpent. He would crush the enemy. He would crush Satan and what Satan had done. He would crush the work of death. He would crush sin. Because when Jesus was declaring that all sin, as him being the Messiah, he would deal with. He would crush that he was trying to prove to all of the scribes and all of the rabbis and all of the priests that I am that one. And yet they missed him. They still missed him. But it screams this, is that Jesus was the Messiah that Isaiah 53 talked about. That would say he would come and he'd be pierced for our transgressions. He'd be crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. This was his statement when he was saying this, is that he would be that one. 
It's Jesus declaring, I'm the Messiah. Jesus has the capability, because he's the Messiah, to deal with everything that is we could, we could culminate all our sin in this room together. All the sins we've committed today, this week, our lifetime, all together. Jesus, as the Messiah, the Lamb of God that John said takes away the sins of the world, his blood and him himself, what he did was sufficient for it all. And so I, my, my prayer is really this, guys. Number one, to look at Jesus and he's marvelous. He is the most beautiful thing about Christianity. There's nothing more beautiful than Jesus in Christianity. But the truth is what I desire so much is for us to acknowledge, God, there is there's a great conference we're going to be a part of that's coming in a few weeks, three weeks. And I'm excited about it. And I want everything that you want to do in my life. But God, if there's sin that is in me, that is keeping me from being ready and prepared for what you might want to do, I want to confess it. And as you confess it, he's faithful and just to forgive us. But knowing this, that the sin that you may come in with, whatever the effects of sin may have had on your life, wherever you find yourself, Jesus wants to take it tonight. I didn't want to come in here and just say, well, you got sin, get it right. You got sin, get to Jesus. Yes. If you've had a, a, a things that you struggle with, just get to Jesus. Let him take it. So musicians, you can come up. And what I want to do tonight is I, I would ask, can we just... Could we allow the Holy Spirit to reveal to us? It is important to allow Him to put things in our heart. David says, search me, O Lord. If there's any wicked way in me, search me. It's a biblical prayer to pray. It's a scary prayer sometimes. But the beautiful thing is that when God, in my own life, when this began to happen, God was leading me, and, it was, and I was just so cold, so dormant. It led me to a place of desperation where that began my prayer. And from that prayer, God exposed and revealed them things to me. And, I, and I'm just so thankful for what he did. And the truth is, is that's all we have to do is just say, God, reveal to me what it is that you're doing, what it is in my heart, what it is that's maybe keeping me from experiencing everything you want for me to experience and know. And so maybe you find yourself in this room tonight. You're like, you know what? That's me. Would you just, just get with Jesus? Or maybe, and I'll just say this to the people in here who come in here and say, Felix, this doesn't, this doesn't, and I don't understand how we, any of us could really say this, because we're all sin. The reality is sometimes we come in here and we're like, well, that's, you know, I'm doing pretty good, check the box, or whatever it might be. And I've found myself thinking like that at times. The reality is maybe that you, if that's the case, you know you, your, your response should be tonight. The people in this room that are struggling, you're supposed to love them. You're supposed to help them through the struggle. You're called to, to sacrifice, to bear their burdens, to do be a spiritual person. You understand you're not better than them or you don't have it all figured out yourself, but you know what? You're going to care for them and you're going to help them fight the struggles that they fight. You're going to help them through the sin that they battle. You're going to help them whatever way you can. You're going to fulfill Hebrews 3 that talks about, hey, the answer to us not being deceived by sin and, and resulting in a hard heart is actually the body caring for the body. That's the answer. So I just want to pray. I want you to stand. And I know it's different in here. I know we don't have an altar. I know we don't have a thing. But if you want to come down here to pray, if you just want to make a spot at your seat, if you just want to cry out to God, if you just want to thank Jesus for what he's done, how he's taken your sin, if you find yourself in that position, could you just cry out to Jesus? Could we just declare how good he is? Could we thank him? Could we tell him, God, here it is. Here it is. Here's my sin. 
Here's what's kept me. Here's what's, I've held on to it. It's really kept me from everything I want with you, God. But I give it to you tonight. I lay it at you and I want to be, I want my heart ready. I want you to be able to do everything you want to do when that conference starts. And even now, I want you to be able to do everything you want to do. Before that conference, have let my heart be ready. So dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just cry out to you, Jesus. Jesus, you are wonderful. You are great. You are mighty. You are glorious in all your ways. And you are the one who's come to take our sin. And you did take our sin on the cross. You paid the punishment for our sin. And there's not a sin in this room that is too great for you. Jesus, what we deserve, we deserve punishment. We're like Barabbas. We should have been the one that hung on the cross. Like Barabbas should have been the one that hung on the cross. But Jesus, you took Barabbas' place. You took my place. You took every one person in this room, their place, Jesus. And Jesus, you are glorious. And you are mighty. And you are worthy. So Jesus, we just declare, God, you are wonderful. We want to worship you. We want to praise you. And guys, I just say this to you. Don't leave with a heart that just says, I heard a sermon. Leave saying, I love Jesus because of who he is and what he has done and how he has taken all.